Countdown for blast off. X minus five, four, three, two, X minus one, fire. Welcome to another episode of the Forgotten My Dice podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Edwards, and with me, of course, the found footage recorded on a potato to my completely, totally legit creature video on YouTube, Mr. Robert Lundgren. How you doing? Hello, hello, Jonathan. I'm doing good. Oh, man, nailed it. Another single taker. I know. I know. I'm impressed. That one was a bit of a tongue twister. I know. I, I added words to it just to make it worse. I could tell. Yeah. I could tell. Yeah. But I, I thought the added words made it made it more funny because it got more ridiculous and it all fit. I'll allow it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, as always, let's go ahead and get started with a big old thank you to our patrons over at Patreon. You guys are helping us keep the lights on and the servers humming and our questionable life choices flowing freely from bi-weekly install to bi-weekly install. And with that, Robert, what day is it? Thank you, Jonathan. Uh, happy National Free Thought Day. Organizers select the date of October 12th due to a series of events dating back to the Salem Witch Trials. And throughout the trial's questionable evidence from accusers' claims, witnessing devils and specters caused the case to be halted. Blah, blah, blah. The point is, don't do your research on Facebook and YouTube, my friends. Go to primary sources and, and, and do that kind of free thinking. You know, the kind where you read books and find evidence and subject matter experts and whatnot. Not a dude recording videos on his iPhone in a trailer. I've been watching TikTok recently because my kids have gotten me into it. And every so often on TikTok... There's these random videos of like weird nature events and it's just words over the top that's hey I'm from the future these things are going to happen. And it's just freaking cuckoo banana pants. It just you made me think of it. I've heard weird things about TikTok. It's a weird platform, man. I I've decided that I must be getting older because none of it makes any sense to me anymore. <laughs> the thing I've read about TikTok is like uh, I've had pe multiple people on Twitter say uh uh TikTok knew I was gay or bi before I did because like you start liking certain videos. The next thing you know, like bisexual or, or homosexual videos start popping up and you're like, why is that popping up? And then they start thinking about it. Hey, man, <laughs> never, ever, ever, ever underestimate the power of the algorithm. I know, um, right? It's there's creepy. a very famous marketing study that was done uh, quite a few years ago. Uh, and it was about Target's analysis of its guests' web behavior. Mm -hmm. And basically what happened was this uh, gentleman goes on Target and he shares an account with his daughter and starts getting offered all these different baby things and just doesn't understand it and is all irritated and ticked off and calls Target and complains. And then the very next day, his daughter says, well, actually, I'm pregnant. And Target knew about it just by analyzing the guest behavior well, well before even she realized it. It's just creepy. It's creepy. You know what? You know what's really kind of sad about that? Like when I was a young lad and I was watching the cyberpunks, I was pretty sure that the AI, AI apocalypse would come in the form of, you know, missiles from the sky and, you know, all of that instead of, you know, some algorithm that knows if I like, you know, Fago so soda or something. <laughs> we're just we're going to be so easy to subjugate for the machines. It's not I, even funny. I know. We will I put know. up zero fight. For the record, I don't like Fago soda. I was reading about uh, Juggalos, so I, I, I got reminded that Fago existed because I've never seen it. Literally, no, that's a lie. I saw I saw it once at a candy store by my old by my old store. I miss you, sweet Jack. 
Now you're wondering why I was reading about Juggalos? That's a long story. Oh, I'm, I'm not even touching that with a 10-foot pole. Uh, no, no, no. It, this is an awesome story. So I was on the Delta Green Reddit, and somebody posted, like, I wrote an adventure that takes place during, like, a Juggalos convention uh, in 2012, and I I thought I did a good job, so I'm going to share it with everybody here. And it, and it it's kind of brilliant. Like, I, I really like it. Like, if I was running a long campaign, it'd be that episode of The X-Files, you know, that's just kind of goofy and funny for no real reason in the middle of the season. Like, it could completely function as that and be 100% correct. And it's it's just lovely, Jonathan. It's just lovely. My favorite part of it, Jonathan, my favorite part is there's this lengthy section about how to role play a juggalo. And <laughs> and, and and it's it's uh, oh it's so good. Hold on, hold on, hold on. So here okay, so here's the section on it. Face paint, Fago, drugs, and public nudity everywhere. They shout family, family, in a show of love for each other. Do this whenever the opportunity presents in varying formats. If asked about it, they say every juggalo is family. Throw in whoop whoop to punctuate sentences. <laughs> and it, unless your agents look or behave like obvious cops, jugglers should accept agents as their own. They're rowdy, but not hostile. Handlers should feel free to include some interaction with attending air quotes celebrities for funnies. For example, you know, the, the two guys in the insane clown posse, Vanilla Ice or Charlie Sheen. And I'm like, yeah, just a random cameo from Charlie Sheen in the middle of your Delta Green game. I, I, oh, I, I don't know why it tickles me as much as it does, but it's it's a funny, it's a, it's just a very amusing adventure. Whoop, 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 whoop. <laughs> uh, He's punctuated the entire podcast with that. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, <laughs> I don't think, think that's good. We no, might no, have no. just found an episode. No, I don't, want whoop, to make, I don't want to make it an episode. I don't want the Juggalos to be disappointed when they find out that we're not fellow Juggalos. I, I hold Ill, no ill will in my heart towards them. But, I don't know. I, I kind of take a sick, perverse pleasure in the thought that we title it whoop whoop and then all of a sudden we see this huge spike in adoption on an episode and then the following episode goes right back to normal yeah yeah. (laughs) that amuses me to no end that's that's true that's true well if we do post it we do post it this is this is my stance on a lot of things people whatever you got to do to get by to make it through your day because sometimes frequently life kind of sucks man like yeah you know i'm it's Fago soda. I mean, they make root beer. How bad could it be? I've had Fago root beer. That's actually why I know about it. It was good. Well, there you go. Do you know there's 50 flavors of Fago? Like, I, I forgot. About, and, and I, there's, where do you get it out here? It's like a, it's like an East Coast thing. It's so bizarre. I have no idea. I I've wonder never if, even heard of this. I wonder I just if know Ray, that I want to Fanta Fanta. I wonder if Ray knows about Fago. Don't you want a Fanta Fanta? We'll have to ask Ray. Because I, th- I think it's an East Coast thing. And I think he's the most Easterly person that we know. Yeah, well, we we will have an opportunity to ask Ray very soon, won't we? Yeah, yeah, we will. Yeah, we will. Was that our subtle hint that we're Ray hopefully will be on the next episode if everything goes to plan? If everything goes to plan, yes, I think so. He's going to be out there shilling his new book, but you'll have to tune in next time to learn about that or the new nice. book he narrated. Yeah, close enough. He's he's a narr- he's he's a damn fine narrator. Anyway, go on. Sorry. Absolutely. This we we we're, were on we, a tangent. We, well, actually, th- this is a really good uh, way to slide into my, our next segment, which is, of course, our off-the-shelf segment. That is our segment where we talk about all the wonderful things that we've had off of our shelves or virtual uh, shelves, onto our tables, and into our hearts. Well, let's start with reading, because I just read that Insane Clown Posse Delta Green Adventure. So what have you been reading, Jonathan? <laughs> Man, I don't even know how to unpack that last sentence. There's a lot to unpack there. <laughs> So I did get a chance to finish Mongrels, that book that you recommended. Oh, nice. 
the f- last 20% of that book is not the first 80% of that book. Oh, well, okay. Then. I don't know how I feel about the end of the book. I know that I enjoyed reading it. So, wow. so you have not read it? No, no, no. I, I, I know you like werewolf stuff, and I just on my random bobs through Reddit, somebody mentioned that book was good, and so I passed I, it on to you. Or it was a I need somebody else to read it, because I need to have a discussion about it. I, 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 I want... I am. I have some curiosities that I'm just. I'm not 100 percent sure where I lie on stuff, and I think I need to have a conversation with somebody else who's read it about it. I don't know if that person will be me. I don't because I I I'm a, I'm on a ghost kick right now, so I I've, I've got The Shining lined up at this point to read. Well, maybe after The Shining, maybe uh, put it on your list. Just okay. do me a solid. It's do at the li- so it's at the time. library. I, I I paused it because I want to have time to read The Shining, but yeah, it's it's on my list at the library. Yeah. So, and if anybody out there decides to pick it up and read it, I would be very curious to have a conversation with you about it. I, I, I have thoughts. I have thoughts. I don't want to ruin anything on the show. I will say this: I'm glad I read it. I'm just not 100 percent sure about the last fifth. Well, I finished reading *The Haunting of Hill House* finally, the original, nice. the OG. Nice. And how did that go? It was really good. It made me really appreciate Mike's uh, Mike's adaptation of it a lot more because. Um, while narratively he didn't get like the exact story, like the, the Robert Weiss 60s movie did that really, really well. What he did is he made a list of everything that makes that book good and just sort of expanded on it and took it in a different direction. For example, The Haunting of Hill House is, you know, much more of a family drama and, and it, you know, all, that, that family has a lot of strong characters and you go into all of those characters pretty deeply. And that is something from the book because the book is mostly from one person's point of view. And it's uh, it's about Eleanor, actually. Eleanor, at the end of it, dies. And and basically you get to see her mental state from arriving at Hill House as a – I don't know if I'd call her sane because she has kind of a tra- tragic backstory. She was taking care of her dying mother for 16 years. And so from the age of 16 to when the book begins at 32, she's basically been her mom's caretaker and has no other work experience. And she – her – life kind of is in a, a weird place because she's like basically crashing on a cot in her in her sister's house and decides to run away to hill house and then by the end of it she's you know complete like the the house has had its way with her and she's just kind of lost her mind and they make her go because you know they she's getting a little scattered if you catch my meaning and so they they tell her to leave the house and it doesn't go well <laughs> fair enough yeah yeah no but it was cool it was cool that you know like he picked up on a lot of little things from the book and just, you know, repackage them in a, in a better thing or in a, in a different thing. It was a good adaptation. So I'm glad I read the book. It's a classic. It was written in 57. Stephen King says it's one of his favorite books. Well, there you go. Mm-hmm. There you go. What, what else have you been reading? Uh, what else have I been reading? So once I finished that, I decided to reread uh, Norse mythology. Uh, by, the Neil, um, Neil Gaiman? The, yeah, the Neil Gaiman version. Yeah. And I am having a great time with it. I've heard a lot of good things about that one. This is my third reading of it, I think. I really enjoy his take on everything. He does a really good job of bringing it all together. Yeah, he's just, he's got such an easy flowing writing style. And and it's interesting because for whatever reason, this this time around, I'm I'm realizing how many parallels there are between these myths and and so many other cultures' myths. It's just kind of interesting. And we'll never quite know from a timeline perspective because there's not a lot of written uh, stuff on it. But uh, we'll never know, you know, which came first and which influenced which. Um, but there's there's so much from an anthropological standpoint 
um, you know, cultures uh, swallowing up other cultures by adopting parts of that culture to make people a little more amenable to the new culture. Yeah, I had a moment of that when I was on my Spain kick a couple months ago. In eastern Spain, there's a lot of like stories about folk heroes, which mirror a lot of the tales from uh, the Odyssey, you know, uh, like the Cyclops. That's one of them. And there's, an, there's another one. And they don't attribute them to a kid or uh, to. Uh, oh, God, I can't remember his name now. Who was the guy who was in the Odyssey? Theseus. Uh, Homer? No, he Homer wrote it. It's about Theseus. Or, yeah, Homer wrote it. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. They, they don't attribute it to like Theseus. They just attribute it to local heroes. But it's like the same exact story. And, you know, it was just kind of weird because I was thinking like, oh, my God, was like that like stories about, you know, weird encounters on islands in the Mediterranean where those just bopping around the Mediterranean and then Homer kind of collected them all in one work. And that's why in Spain they have the, their own kind of versions of it that are pretty obviously kind of the same story. I don't know. It was interesting. No, it's just you, you just realize just how squished together we really all are, despite all our differences. It's just kind of interesting. It always strikes me as interesting. Also, a fair thing to remember, Mediterranean, relatively calm, doesn't get storms, doesn't have choppy waves. People were sailing across it in both directions for a long time. So, you know, just remember that. No, that's especially true in Spain. I mean, God, there's so much Moorish history and Spaniard history. Right, right. But in general, yeah, just people think that Europe back in way, way, way back when was very, very white. and Nobody had seen anybody who was dark skinned or whatever. And it's like, no, that was not true. No, not even remotely. Yeah. Anyway, can we move to movies and TV? Because I, I, I've been on a kick. And so I. I yeah. I, OK. Because of um, on my ghost kick, I mentioned last episode that uh, I rented the Stephen King miniseries Rose Red, and it took a while to get it. Um, so we just started watching it. Um, apparently, it, it was I guess three episodes back on ABC, and me and Gina watched the first two. Although they're all edited together, so it's kind of hard to tell. But based off of what I've seen, we watched the first two. We're we're what four movies into our Stephen King retrospective, right? As of this episode, yes. Yeah. So. Now that I'm on like my fifth movie or thing by Stephen King, I'm starting to realize that there's a certain like rhythm and flow to Stephen King's works, especially when he has more of a direct hand in shaping them. Like, oh, um, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And he wrote Rose Red. And it's really weird because Stephen King's stuff, for whatever reason, makes for really engaging reading. And when that same vibe gets put onto a film, it makes for really strange film. Does that make sense? Sometimes. Yes, absolutely. Now, now when people, when people grab it and adapt it and tweak it to make it work, it's good. You know, like there's plenty of, when when they remember to make a good film or TV show, not a good, uh, you know, not a, a, a faithful adaptation. Like look at what Frank Darabont did. Right. Right. Dreamcatcher was really good. So Frank Darabont didn't do Dreamcatcher. <laughs> I thought he did. I don't think so. Did he? God, God help us if he did. <laughs> oh, it's Lawrence Kasdan. Yeah, don't worry. He totally, he totally, he totally, totally saved his reputation when he wrote the uh, sequels, the uh, Star Wars sequels. Oh, oh, too soon, buddy. Too soon. No, he, but yeah, he wrote, maybe. He wrote he wrote some other stuff. Yeah, and then uh, William Goldman wrote the script for that, which is also kind of shocking because he's a really good scriptwriter. Anyway, I'm no, sorry. Um, I didn't mean to did, sully the name. Frank Darabont did Frank the, the, the Mist, uh, the film version of The Mist, and yeah. uh, Shawshank Redemption. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. 
But, you know, like he focused on making a really, really good film first. You know what I mean? Well, also Shawshank Redemption, I've noticed that his novellas work better as movies where there's usually too much story to cram into a movie from one of his books. Well, I think it's just the shortened, shortened text. Yeah, 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 yeah. Anyway, Rose Red is very strange. It, it, it is basically The Haunting. So he was working with Spielberg to make a, a movie based off The Haunting of Hill House and their relationship kind of fell apart. And then he bought the rights back to his own script and converted it into a miniseries after he got hit by that, uh, that van. So Rose Red has a lot of parallels. Uh, like there's, you know, they, they gender flipped the, the doctor that works at a college that's studying, you know, the creepy house. But, you know, it's still that's the setup. Basically, doctor gets a bunch of psychics to go into a supposedly haunted house to try to get definite proof of the supernatural. And he had a really good idea. He mixed the lore of uh, the haunting with the Winchester Mystery House, which, you know, that was like a good move because the Winchester Mystery House is weird and creepy. And, you know, like that, the, the backstory of somebody who keeps building or, or uh, you know, a lady, a widow who keeps building and building and building onto this house because of a curse that they feel they're under. That's that's good stuff. You know, that's good stuff. Yeah, agreed. And it's a lot because in the book, The Haunting of Hill House, they talk about how Hill House is strange because the guy who made it, Hugh Crane, he didn't make it with straight angles. So everything just is a little off. You know, like rooms aren't actually square. They're more like trapezoidal or whatever, where it's maybe not like it's imperceptible by like a, a degree or two, but not, nothing's ever parallel in that house. And uh, and and that's what they imply makes people so unnerved in there and, and, and uneasy, which, you know, whatever. But like that's really hard to like put into film, you know. And so having it just be the Winchester Mystery House of just a sprawling weird complex with strange rooms and weird staircases that do stuff and just stuff like that was like a really good idea because that's something you can film. Like that makes sense. That's yeah. some, something you can see really easily. Whereas, you know, just imperceptible things not lighting up and the, the home itself being maddening that doesn't work so well, but like within seconds of them getting there, overt supernatural stuff happens, including there's uh, I forget what the character's name is. It's like Annie or something, but there's a, a character who's essentially Eleanor, uh, where she may or, she she's probably the most psychic one there, and, and in the book she definitely is. But like she's like telekinetic, like obviously telekinetic, like she can make stones rain from the sky. And when they introduce her character to like the rest of the group that's going into Rose Red, the haunted house, uh, she makes a whole bunch of bikes that are on a stand, just like start turning their wheels with her mentalness, and they all see it. And and then within when they get there, they're touring the house, and like an orb of light that starts calling to Annie and like reaching out a hand to her and in a little girl's voice like pops up out of the floor and, and, and I'm like, like I could buy the doctor who's there, like photographing it and getting really into it. But like, you know, the other people, even though they're supposed to be psychics, like, why aren't they running and screaming? Like, Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, Oh, we came here for supernatural evidence. And it's like, well, you got that on film. My work here is done. I'm out, you know? (laughs) (laughs) And uh, and then there's this moment where they they because the house has a reputation because it it's the way it's built you can get lost in it pretty easily and then some people say that the house builds on itself um, they they hook ropes everywhere like climbing ropes and then use that to like find their way back and after they leave that room with the orb light they're following the rope back and the rope just goes into a wall like right in the center of a wall it just goes into it like the the house closed itself off and i'm like that's creepy that was a good moment and then they ruined it because the soup the the psychic people like start doing their onto the wall and they make the wall open and i was like well that was dumb 
And it's like, okay, so like two overtly supernatural things just happened in the span of like 20 minutes. It's like, why aren't you guys out? Like, why aren't you out? <laughs> like, that was it. You're done. Like, boom. Do you need more? And then, of course, that night everybody dies and all this stuff happens. And it's like, yeah, did they need more? Now it's a party. Yeah, yeah. You could almost call it a dead man's party. You could ask for more. Yes! So I, so Gina was just just complaining about how how just overtly supernatural and how it lacks subtlety. And I'm like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Gina, if you think this movie lacks subtlety, you should see Jean Benant's version of The Haunting. Because, <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> and so we're going to rent that from the library because uh, we, you know, we're on a ghost kick right now. And it's Halloween. It fits. It fits. So, yeah. Because, uh, oh, man, does that movie lack subtlety? And she's like, am I going to regret watching it? I'm like, you know, I remember watching The Haunting. And while it was a terrible ghost movie and it was a terrible horror movie because it just showed way too much, I was entertained in just how crappy it was. Like, there was something still about it that was kind of fun to watch. So I think we'll be fine. I think we could hate watch it well. So we, I, I will report back next time. I should have that done by next time. You're welcome. What have you been watching? Oh, that's a good question. Hold on. You made me think of a movie and now I can't think of the damn name of it. So I'm going to go look it up real quick. Okay. Should I continue while you're looking that up? No. Oh, did you ever see House on Haunted Hill? The Uh, remake of the Vincent Price? uh, Was that the one with Tony Shalhoub? No, that's 13 Ghosts. That was 13 Ghosts. This is the one with Jeffrey Rush and Famke Janssen and uh, Allie Larder. No, I don't think I saw that one. It's surprisingly fun. I will say this. It's definitely campy and fun, but you should put it on your ghost list. <gasps> Lisa Loeb, isn't it? Like that? Th- yes. That Lisa Loeb. That's funny. You're welcome. All right. We'll see how she feels after after The Haunting by Amblin. It's yeah. a surprisingly interesting movie. I'll tell you what. There's no sense in not putting it on my list because why not? And there's there's like this there's a distinct Lovecraft moment. I'll just put it like that. Okay. Okay. Now I'm, I'm looking up at my, my library. Yep, there it is. All the copies are in use, man. All right, it's on my list. You're welcome in advance. All right, so what else have you been watching? So I watched this weird movie on Amazon because I just needed to have something on, and it was weird, and I don't know. I don't know how I feel about it. It was better than I thought it was going to be, um, but it was still kind of odd. It was an interesting kind of time travel movie called Synchronicity. It's worth it's worth the watch. I'm, I'm very split. It's very it's paced very oddly, and it's definitely low budget, but I don't know. It asks some interesting questions, and it has some interesting moments, so I'll leave it at that. Like, are we talking... Uh primer low budget or no no it's not that bad it's not low in terms of budget because okay. actually i rather think primer is one of the more clever movies to come out about time I, travel. I, I i would agree but it is low budget <laughs> oh yeah no super low budget super low budget when your time machine is like 15 glad bags and your kid's caterpillar uh tunnel yeah you're yeah. low budget yeah uh but no it's not like that there's a lot of digital effects and digital backgrounds it's like a, a lower to mid budget movie Okay, and then I got into Westworld on HBO Max, um, and I'm about almost done with the first season. And so far, and I, I understand that it takes a a dip in quality in in other seasons, but so far my experience with the first season has been that it's a it's a freaking clinic in how to make a, a, a tense, interesting show, 
and there's some distinctly good moments in it. And man, whoever cast that show, wow. Well, it's got your like favorite actor in it, in it right? The the one doctor. Um, Who, Jeffrey Wright? Jeffrey Wright, yeah. Yeah, I love Jeffrey Wright. Yeah. And um, I think he's Not that Anthony Hopkins is, is any, in any slouch either. <laughs> no, no. And that's just the thing. Like, the dynamic between Hopkins and Wright is, is actually one of the more interesting dynamics. And, and one of the things about this show, and I'm not going to say any specifics because I don't want to spoil it, but, you know, you know that there are these um, simulacrums in the show, right? Yeah. I, I, I've so that, watched about that, half of the first season, maybe two thirds. Well, that, that's not a spoiler, but I mean, yeah. just speaking to the, the quality of the acting, like these actors go from these these rich emotional outbursts. And then when the doctors say, um, you know, turn your emotions off, their faces go from twisted and agonized to like flat and deadpan on the voice instantaneously. Like I I'm truly impressed at the quality of acting happening. The existential dread of that show and the unrelenting darkness. Yeah, we just didn't we didn't finish it. It got a little too oh, much. Man, I am really enjoying it. There is some good stuff happening here. I don't know. I, I kind of disagree with its central thesis that if you give people the opportunity to murder and kill that a lot of people would go take you up on that. I don't actually honestly believe that. Not, yeah, s- not saying it would. We went and had the Capitol riots, so maybe yes, maybe they're yeah, right. Yeah, st- I still don't think that because because that's part of crowd dynamics too, and there's not crowds there doing that. And I, I think that's anyway. It's complicated. Um, uh, you know, whether you agree with it or not, you can still enjoy it for what it is, and it's it's really neat. I'm really enjoying it. Yeah. All right. Well, speaking of the Stephen King, I'm, I'm still I'm still doing Stephen King. I started watching The Outsider on HBO Max. And uh, or as I like to call it, do you do you want to join Delta Green? Because this is how you join Delta Green. Like it is. I, I heard about it because the, the Delta Green Reddit said it's basically about people joining Delta Green. And that that is correct. <laughs> like that. That's what it's about. It's about this cop in Georgia that basically gets this case that the more evidence they find, the more it doesn't make sense. And the only explanation is something vaguely supernatural going on. And it's and w- which one is this? The Outsider. I need to watch this. It's a it's a ten episode miniseries, um, and uh, Jason Bateman's in it. He directed the first two episodes and has a character in it, which is fun. I, I I don't know why I like Jason Bateman so much when I see him pop up. I don't know. I do too, and and it's like he doesn't always pop up, and when he does, he always gives a steady performance. Yeah, he's not a he's not a fantastic actor, but he's he's really good. Like he's very solid, you know. And and he he played a very tragic character in this one because usually usually he's in like comedies and stuff and he plays kind of this deadpan comedy. But him him doing this tragic character was like yeah no he did he did good. You know what's interesting is is how many of the best dramatic performances I've ever seen have been attributed to, to co- uh, comedians. Yeah, no, I've heard that. I think to be a comedian you have to have a certain darkness in you. That that's at least what it seems. I. I'm not sure if it's well. I mean, we can get into this <laughs> about about roots of comedy. Yeah, not not to derail us, but like it, yeah. it just it 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 seems like that's a natural fit. I don't know. Psychologically speaking, uh, there's this thought that being funny is a way that you learn how to cope with stuff in childhood. That you know it can do certain things to you, but instead you just make it funny because you have to laugh at something, and that's how you cope with it. Is you become funny. Which is why, like, so many comedians are alcoholics and whatnot because they're self-medicating for past trauma and whatnot. And yeah. I could buy that. I could buy that. 
I think I'm funny and I'm like, and I know why I am. And it's, yeah, yeah. Fun, fun childhood. I mean, I fully understand why a lot of my self-deprecating humor works. And that's because I'm making fun of all the things that I hate about myself. Like I'm, I'm free to, I'm free to do that self-analysis. Wow. Wow. That went to a place. I'm never going to be able to talk to you the same way again, Jonathan. (laughs) You just entered the unrelenting positivity zone out of me now. Do you realize that? Oh my God. Like I, I'm okay with it. I'm at peace with it. There's no reason for me to be upset about yeah, it. Yeah, but if if you I believe of it in something, then I'm gonna have to reprogram your brain by speaking to you in a different way for the rest of your life. No, I don't need to be reprogrammed. I think you need I'm, to be. Reprogrammed. I'm pleasantly dark. <laughs> it's like and that. there's another episode title. <laughs> We're on a roll today. Anyway, anyway, sorry, The Outsider. <laughs> <laughs> you feel free to cut all that crap. I'm sure it's terrible right No, no, I'm keeping it. That's good stuff. The Outsider. I don't know what else to say about it. That's not spoilers, so I won't if you want to watch it. It's worth watching. And it's only 10 episodes. It's a miniseries. But again, it's like it was a book, and then you turn it into a miniseries, especially with somebody who's not as like dedicated to keeping it exactly like the book, but ad- adapting it. And it worked. It works really good. And, and the thing, the weird Stephen Kingness to the characters is is muted. Because Stephen King characters are strange. Yeah, but I think that's by design. No, but I, he has a lot of stereotypes that he really enjoys. You know, like, I, I mean, we've talked about the Stephen King bullying, but that that is a, a trope he likes, like this very specific hyper-violent bully. Um, but there's other character archetypes that he has in a lot of his books. And it's it, it's weird it's weird seeing them on screen because they're not like screen characters and it just doesn't work. I, I don't know if it's in the original book. I might actually read it if I if after I do the shining. The the guy who did the show, I don't know if he changed it or what, but it, it's it's actually really good. And what I like about it is um the lead guy is really struggling with the the idea that something supernatural is going on, but there's a, a wide cast of characters who are kind of investigating stuff with him. And some of them just are like, yeah, no, I, I buy it like completely, you know, and it, and it, and they have different reasons and their characters are very fleshed out for why, you know, something supernatural doesn't necessarily bother them as much as it bothers this guy. And they try explaining it to him and he just thinks they're crazy. And it, it, it's really, it's a really, it's a good look at, yeah. Like, do you want to join Delta, Delta green? Cause this is how you join Delta green. You keep, you keep investigating something, even though it's obviously driving, driving you crazy. And I think he hit his breaking point going back to Delta green in the last episode I watched. He, uh, yeah, he, he lost it a little bit. <laughs> anyway, sorry. Outsider thumbs up. We'll get this out of the way. I watched midnight mass. Awesome. Thumbs up. Da, da, yeah, that's da, it. Da, thumbs, da, up. Thumbs, I, it. thumbs up. Thumbs up. Thumbs up. Thumbs up. Thumbs up. Thumbs up. I don't want to know anything about it going into it. It looks this is amazing. Not a, this is not a spoiler, but I saw a meme about Midnight Mass, and it is 100% true. It's like me watching Midnight Mass and playing the game of finding actors who have been in his previous ones, and it's that picture of Leonardo DiCaprio and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood like pointing at the TV. <laughs> <laughs> he does work with the same cast a lot. And yeah. Actually, I think that says a lot about him as a director and a a co-worker you know yeah well his his wife's obviously in it the chef from Bly Manor's in it oh I love him yeah yeah he's in it oh the wife of of Steve uh in the haunting of hill house the the eldest brother the lady who plays his wife is in it with a, a, a really big role like she's one of the main characters and she she's really good in it yeah there's oh I could I could name so many more uh Annabeth Gish the lady who plays uh, Mrs. Dudley in in haunting hill house she's in it 
yeah, I won't keep playing this game with you on the radio because it's probably terrible. But yeah, no, that it's it's funny, especially now that I've also seen um, a couple of his other, like uh, Doctor Sleep, the lady who plays Polly in flashbacks to Shining Times. You know, uh, Danny's mom. Um, mm-hmm. She's in she's <laughs> in uh, Bly Manor as a pretty major character, and and I, I was like watching. I'm like, God, why do I recognize her? Why do I? And I was driving me nuts, and then it like dawned on me. Like, uh, like who it was. And I'm like, oh, wow, she's really good. Because she sounded a lot like uh, 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 the lady from The Shining that I can't remember her name now. Shelly Duvall. She, she, uh, Shelly Duvall. Yeah, 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 she really challenged Shelly Duvall. Anyway, yeah, very good, very good. And play the game. Play the game while you're watching. It's, it's quite entertaining. <laughs> oh, no, I do. Trust me, I do. I do. <laughs> and Elliot from E.T. is in it, of course, because he's been in everything. And yeah. Yeah, but you know what? He's he's really good. Yeah, he's really good in this. He's he's got a really good moment in this. All right, and I'll close this out. Uh, we're watching Stranger Things again because previews were coming out for Stranger Things four, and it made the family want to start watching that show again. So we're watching that show again. I wouldn't mind rewatching that. It's good. It holds up really well. I mean, like it's only four years old or whatever, but yeah, it's still really good. <laughs> All right, what else have you been watching? Uh, what else have I been watching? Uh, I'm up to date on Ted Lasso and that has made every Friday that a new Ted Lasso comes out is a good day. I'll, I'll just say that. Wow. Like they're doing some interesting stuff with these characters. They, 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 they grow, they change, they feel like real people. They're challenging. They're flawed. They're beautiful. Like, I don't know how else to put it. This, this is, this is humanity with positivity and that's something that we re- need right now like ted lasso is a beautiful show i decided i'm gonna put that show in my pocket and wait for january to watch it because up here in the pnw after two three months of you know cloudiness and near constant drizzle or rain like january is when it starts getting to me a little bit <laughs> and i'm like I'll, I'll i'll save it for then in the middle of winter you know i can get behind that yeah but it, it's just it's a beautiful textured show and it reminds me that maybe humanity is a good thing. Like <laughs> it's, it's given me a little bit of hope, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And it's funny. And one of the characters is basically like my spirit animal because every word out of his mouth is fuck. Yeah. I hear there's a meme that one of the characters they think is computer generated. Cause he's like too perfect or something. <laughs> yeah, but he's not. He's real. Yeah, man. Like that show is just great. Like I don't, I don't know how else to, to put it like that show is just great. It's just great. And it makes happiness happen. And it's fantastic. And sometimes it's David Bowie song in real life. And I just don't know how else to put it. It's just a beautiful thing. Do you want me to crush that a little bit for you? Fuck. Don't, don't kill me. Yes. Go for it. God. So it sounds like the, uh, the Hollywood, uh, workers guild is going to go on strike pretty soon. And, uh, I was on the Twitters and one of the people, reference that show directly as a reason why because apparently um in hollywood they're paying people less for working on streaming shows because it's a quote like new industry and it's like how can you sit there and say it's a new industry when you know 60 to 70 percent of production has pivoted to it in the last year or two and you know ted lasso swept the emmys like this isn't new (laughs) and i'm like yeah they're not wrong yeah just as much work and love goes into those, those people have a right to be paid the same. I, and I fully acknowledge and, and I hope, I hope Hollywood doesn't go on strike. Yeah, man, it, it takes a good solid nine months to clear out that 
that whole I mean, don't get me wrong. If they do, I, I will support them. I, but I, I hope it doesn't get to that. I, 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 I don't get why people play chicken like that because I know who's going to win in that equation. <laughs> and it's going to be the strikers. I guarantee it. <sighs> like even with the writer's guild, like they got around it by, you know, like improving or something, you know, but you just can't get or if you can't get someone to build a fracking set, like what are you going to do? <laughs> yeah. Delta Green, Jonathan, you missed an excellent episode of Delta Green, unfortunately. Well, because you're having ruin a f- it for me because I got to get caught up because you had a family vacation. Oh, oh, it was good, Jonathan. Oh, it was good. It was the, it was the best one we've had in a, while, a long time. The 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 crew, while you were not there, got very very afraid of gas masked shotgun wielding trench coat killers from the 1950s. That's fair. All right, so um, video games, I think. Yeah, I uh, I beat Chroma Squad. Nice. How was it? It was good. Like the gameplay was really fun and the storyline was really fun. The ending was kind of abrupt, which uh, I was like, you, you know, you get a couple of screens and some text and it's done. And it's like, go play the game plus. And I'm like, what? but uh, yeah, yeah, it, it knows it's a Power Rangers based video game and it really owns that space. It was really good. It's good, though. Know, yeah. Know what you are. Know your audience. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and then I, I've still been playing Stellaris. Uh not as much lately because I was trying to finish up Chroma Squad because the new Metroid game comes out on Friday and I have that pre-ordered because I love me some Metroid games. Oh, man, because Metroid games are dope. Yep. So, uh, yes, I will probably be seeing the praises of Metroid Dread come next episode. And I'm going to try like hell to get the episode edited before then so I don't have anything blocking my Metroid time. I'm legitimately flirting with buying a new uh, OLED switch for it. The word on the street is there's still a 4K one in the works. So... Take that for what you will. Yeah, but I mean, it'll be at least a year till that comes out. They're not going to release it in the middle of the year. That's true. Supposedly, like, Dread was designed for that console specifically too. The switch out in the living room is it is what it is. I'm not, not you know, it would be nice to be able to play it with it, the other games in my space. Yeah, I keep wondering if I'll buy the 4K Switch whenever it comes out. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. I don't know that it's really going to improve anything. Eh. I, I mean, like, the Switch is getting a little long in the tooth. Let's not forget. Yeah, Nintendo keeps like stuff like that around for a surprising amount of time, though. Which is Only fine. when it sells. That's Look tr- at wh- you, Wii. Well, yeah, but the, the Switch has been selling like gangbusters. And because the chipsets aren't as intense, they've been a lot easier, easier to get, so the, they haven't had the stock problems that, you know, Microsoft and Sony have had. Well, that's what happens when you're using fucking... <laughs> 10-year-old chipsets. Yeah. Yeah, it's basically a cell phone, but yeah. <laughs> I mean, no, it is. It's a fucking processor. It's ridiculous. And it's not even a current ARM processor. Yeah. Well, like, man, it does what it needs to do. I'm, I'm surprised how well some games play on my iPad and just having an iPad that's a console. It's like, that. no, that's smart. Yeah. I hate the standard gamepad, though. I have to play things on the, the that special controller, the external one. Oh, yeah. I got that, too. It, it makes life easier. My... Uh, like my wife was like, "Do you really need that controller?" And I'm like, "Yeah, because like the 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 basic one is just slightly too small for my man hands, you know. Like it's not uncomfortable. Like I could play it for a while before it becomes an issue, but it is just slightly irritating when you're playing it because it's just a little too small. So I had to get that pro controller. The pro controllers, mm, magnifique. Yeah, agreed. What have you been playing? Uh, what have I been playing? Um, so my buddy convinced me to get the New World, that new MMO from uh, 
of all places, Amazon Studios. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's been the hotness on the uh, the YouTube gaming spheres. Color me impressed. I was not expecting what I got. I am having a very good time with it. Hmm. It, it's scratching the MMO itch, but I don't have a subscription, and I'm kind of really okay with that. What is the secret sauce for that game? Like, what what is? Because I've heard a lot of people say it's a really good MMO, but I, I haven't heard anybody articulate why. So far, the grinding has been minimal, even though you're doing very formulaic, formulaic MMO RPG uh, quests. They're varied enough that it doesn't feel like you're grinding, and there's so many different skill trees in it which is really interesting like everything like all of your crafting stuff levels so that me it it makes everything kind of mean something if that makes sense because like you can't start doing later game stuff until you can build yourself better rations right but you can't build yourself better rations unless you take the time to you know become a better cook and you do that by by hunting turkeys and then stripping them down for meat and then cooking yourself some basic rations. And you can do that. And this is really kind of one of the best things it does. You can do that within the context of still making progress on main missions. Well, yeah. And I've also heard that, um, unlike say, wow, and a lot of uh, other MMOs, you don't have to specialize in one of the crafting skills. You can just kind of do whatever you, you, you can do whatever you want. You can make your character the way you want to make your character. It's really neat. And yeah, and you can have two professions simultaneously, basically. Like, if you're getting bored of cooking, you can switch over to, like, blacksmithing or whatever. Yep. Hmm. So there's there's just, there's a lot to like. I'm having a really good time with it. And it plays really well, and and for an MMO, like, it's nice to have a modern MMO with modern graphics. Like, it it looks really pretty, considering the scale. Yeah, I've been wanting to give that a try, but I don't have a computer that can handle it. So, unless they make a, uh, a console version. I will not. They might. They might. Who knows? It feels like actually it could it could make the transition to a console a lot better than most MMOs. Well, now I'm asking Google, is it coming? So, yeah, the new world. It's a it's a surprise. And if you need to scratch that MMO uh, itch, it's only 40 bucks and um, there's no uh, subscription. So that's that's kind of scratching a lot of itches. How are they going to monetize it? Is there like a I don't know, man. Are they going to do it like Destiny where they make season passes and probably something along those annual expansions? And I'm okay because you know what? I'll I'll invest in it if it's worth it. But I don't feel like I was out a lot to try it out. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's one thing I hate about Destiny, by the way. Like, I I want to play it. But if I want to play it at this point, I have to drop like $100 on software to get caught up. And it's like, yeah, it's insanity. No, it's just not worth it. World of Warcraft, for all of that company's ills, of which there are many, uh, one thing they were smart about is... <laughs> especially lately. <laughs> especially lately, haha. <laughs> Basically, there, there's a patch that uh, goes live, like, usually two, three months before the new expansion comes out. And when that patch comes out, the last expansion just gets added to everybody's account and is free from that point on. Because, you know, I mean, it's an MMO. Like, you're not in it to play old endgame content, because if old endgame content exists... But there's newer endgame content. People are going to shuffle off towards that because there's no reason to do it. So why make people pay for it? You know, and that's the thing I I, I don't want to do. It's like, why, why am I going to pay for these expansions when, you know, fully half of the content is dead? Anyway, that's my rant. I apologize. No, I'm kind of with you. I'm kind of with you. All right. And then we played our standard issue board games, Seven Wonders, 
Yeah, a lot, lot of returning, a uh, lot of returning favorites there. The, the the big new one for me is that I'm I've really been tearing into Descent a lot, getting ready for our review. That's up and coming. Uh, this is of course like Descent Third Edition, I guess you could call it. Legends of the Dark. So we'll be talking about that more on the show uh, very soon. Oh, and and and, then, and because we uh, we realized it's October, we met Damon Hadrian's Wall again. <laughs> no, you met Damon Hadrian's Wall. Well, I had whatever. it ready to go. Oh, whatever. But it's Halloween. It's the Halloween. It is Halloween. I didn't realize this was the Halloween episode. So instead, we're doing Cryptid today, which we'll talk about in a little bit. And so, well, I, actually, course, technically, next episode would be closer to Halloween. We're going to do the Descent. But there's a lot of demons in this version of Descent, from what I saw. There is. Uh, demons and witches all over the place. So there you go. It's perfect. It fits. Um, so, yeah, welcome to Railroad Inc. Seven Wonders. We've talked about those extensively. I got Camel Up out and played it with some new people, and they really enjoyed it, too. That game's always a classic. Uh, and then Descent and Hadrian's Wall, which we've talked about. Um, and I don't want to go into either of those because those are the kind of the newer ones because we will be deep diving them in the near future. But uh, suffice it to say, they've been hitting uh, hitting my table. I will say this. Descent is uh, $180, you know. But uh, let me tell you, you see your investment when that sucker is on the table. Yeah, I saw someone unboxing it and I saw what you meant about the box. It's 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 bizarre. But it works. It's super functional. It's super, super functional. Yeah, like I saw someone open the box, and there was a box in the box in the box, and I'm like, what is this madness? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it'll 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 stretch the limits of your sanity uh, until you understand it. <laughs> but once you understand it, <laughs> you'll be fine. It'll stretch the limits of your sanity. I like it. You're welcome. I love you. <laughs> so there, moving right along. Um, I think that's it. Yeah, I think that's it. All right. Well, that brings us to the end of our off-the-shelf segment, which means it's time for our state-mandated break time, or as we like to call it, save the file, export that sucker, take a pee break, and return for more. And go on a Reddit spiral about juggalos. Nope, nope. That's just you. Okay. Do you have a tabletop, board game, miniature game, or RPG that you're going to release for retail? Or do you have an upcoming tabletop Kickstarter that you're about to launch? We would love to interview you for a future episode of the Forgot My Dice podcast. Send us an email to fmdpodcast2016 at gmail.com to schedule an interview. Welcome back for the break. It is now time for our Wisdom of Crowd segment. That is, of course, our bi-weekly tabletop news segment where we talk about a little bit of news lately. A little bit for me. I don't know. You said you had a bunch. I had a bunch. There's a big RPG event over the weekend, so lots of stuff. All right. So here's the game that I know you know. Uh, Dominion. Yeah. It is getting its 14th expansion. Hey, Jonathan. Yes. I know you know I know Dominion, but do you know I know you know? That I know Dominion. I know. Yeah. I know. Yeah, I saw this. I, I, I didn't realize that was still a thing. Yeah, Dominion Allies. 400 new cards <laughs> are being introduced into the game. Uh, it will introduce allies, and these allies do favors for the players because they have finally managed to make friends with the barbarian hordes, is what it says here. Hmm. So, uh, of course, the expansion requires the base game to play it, the Rio Grande website says that it is coming soon. So who knows with things being what they are right now. But yes, it's on the way. 
the 14th expansion of Dominion Allies. Speaking of the way things are right now, coming off of the story last week, Steve Jackson Games has announced price increases. Munchkin Core and Deluxe Sets will go up by five bucks. Illuminati will go up by five bucks. Munchkin Pathfinder, for whatever reason, goes up ten bucks. And Zombie Dice goes from thirteen thirteen to fifteen ninety five. So basically, yes, if you had your eye on anything, Steve Jackson might want to go get that right now <laughs> before the new the, the price tags go up. Yeah, I think we're just going to be seeing that for the foreseeable future. Yeah, especially Zombie Dice. I like Zombie Dice. That's a good kid. It's a fun little game. It's a fun little game. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, well, um, speaking of classics, uh, Days of Wonder has released a new Ticket to Ride expansion. It's called Play Pink, and it is in um, support of the Breast Cancer Research Foundation. And it's a set of trains all in pink with all of the proper marker tokens and some of the expansion tokens uh, also in pink to match uh, that you can use with your Ticket to Ride game. And $2 uh, of every purchase is donated. So you can pre-order it now on the Day website. Uh, the train set can be used with Ticket to Ride, Ticket to Ride Europe, basically anything in the Ticket to Ride universe. And it is $4.95. $2 of which goes to uh, the Breast Cancer Research Foundation. So there you go. That's not a bad price point for that. I was expecting more. No, it's, you know what? Given the, the, that it comes in a little metal, metal tin and stuff like that, I think that they are donating their profits, which is great. I don't think they make anything off of that. Stay classy. Yeah, it's a good move. It's not asthma good day. Move. Is that asthma? Well, it is asthma day. That is asthma day. No, but it's it's a sub company, but whatever. Anyway, days of wonder. Good. Stay classy, Days of Wonder. There you go. And Asmodee, I guess, by the transitive property. All right. Well, over the last weekend, Jonathan, it was the Dungeons & Dragons celebration for 2021, where apparently they had a musical episode and they streamed a bunch of games, but they released a bunch of D&D news, and I am excited. So, number one, they hinted at the next setting book that they are working on, uh, with a sketch that looks like a hamster. Yeah, it just looks like a hamster in like a, I don't know what, like in a circle. I'm not sure what it was. It was just a sketch. But they said this is one of the classic settings that's getting revised, and it's going to be in a format they have never been published before. And I saw that, and I and giant space hamsters from Spelljammer were a thing. And it occurred to me, they've just been publishing things in hardback books, but a lot of the old campaign settings only got published as box sets and so saying that they published in a way they've never been published before probably just means they're going to get a hardback book but technically Spelljammer covers that and I'm like oh that's what they've been meaning by this it's they're not trying to be cute and saying they're doing something modern it was a clue it was a clue Jonathan I don't know I made a quick list of all the settings that didn't get a box set and there are quite a few my money is either on birthright because Game of Thrones and political stuff is a thing and or, or Planescape because it's wacky and it's good times and it's a great little setting but we will see. We will see. Next up, in January 2022, they are going to release the Rules Expansion gift set just in time for Christmas of 2022. And I, it's probably international shipping made them have to delay it, which sucks because that sounded like a great Christmas present. But we don't get nice things. It will have Tasha's Cauldron of Everything, Xanathar's Guide to Everything, and a new book called Morning Kanan's Monsters of the Multiverse which will be a collection of updated monsters and races to the new formats that D&D will be using going forward. 
and they went over what how monsters are changing. Basically, there's a lot of monsters that uh, say like they have spell slots and they can cast these spells, and those monsters are frigging annoying because. You know, you have to go learn a bunch of spells when you want to use those monsters, and it sucks. And so what they're going to do is they're going to basically roll that into actions actually on the stat block instead of making you go fishing for spells, which is a good thing. They also announced that there's going to be more adventure anthologies, another classic setting soon, um, two all-new settings that are in the development stage. They may or may not see the light of day. And in the short term, they are about to announce a product for 2022 that goes to a, quote, new scary place that we've never been before. So, yeah. But the biggest news, Jonathan, the biggest news, and I'm only a couple years out of date for this one, but I predicted this like two or three years ago. And it's happening now because I'm always I'm always too far ahead. Uh, they have been gun work on a new set of Dungeons and Dragons core rule books to be released in 2024 for D&D's 50th anniversary. Uh, They say it'll be completely compatible with 5th edition, but I think this is my aforementioned uh, uh, D&D 5.5. I don't think they'll call it D&D 5.5. I think they'll call it D&D 50th Anniversary Edition. That's where my money's going. But yeah, they're going to, it sounds like they're going to revise the classes and roll some stuff from uh, uh, Tasha's Cauldron of Everything into the base classes and blah, blah, blah. But yes, new core rulebook's coming in three years, so... I don't know if I'm excited by that or what, but I am intrigued at the very least. So yes, lots of D and D news. Yeah, we'll have to we'll have to see how it it clips in with everything that's already out because they've got a metric ton of books out right now. Yeah, well, I mean, one of the things they could do is D and D's main problem is some of the classes are terrible. Like I'm looking at you, Ranger, and so if they, you know, just have basically the same classes but tweaked to make them play a little bit better, especially if they tweak them to play a little bit better at higher levels. It's still D&D 5th, but it's its own different thing. All right, well, joining the trend of video games moving to the tabletop, we are getting a board game version of Deep Rock Galactic, which is a a co-op first-person mining game with space dwarves. (laughs) And I've played it, and it's super fun. It's a super fun co-op experience. It's really, really neat. So um, they haven't said much about the title. Uh, There is a single picture, and that picture shows hexes and little plastic. They're the enemy in the game, these little, like, space spiders. And uh, little plastic dwarves with big guns and mining equipment. Are we talking, like, 40K guns? Are we talking about what kind of guns? What do they look like? Kind of. Yeah, they're they're 40K-ish guns. Like, they're big, oversized things, because they double as, like, mining equipment. So Ghost Ship Games is partnering with Mood Publishing and I'm sure I'm going to kill this name, Ole Steinus, the man who designed uh, Champions of Midgard and Police Precinct. Uh, And so it's a one to four player cooperative dungeon crawler, and it's going to um, combine the traversal and exploration aspects of the game, uh, just like the video game, with alien blasting combat. Groovy. So there you go. You can look for it uh, coming in 2022. Well, well, Jonathan, I'm sad to announce this might be my last episode because I think my wife's going to kill me this month because I just want to say there's two Kickstarters that look interesting. And and if I try to back both of them, I'm surely will end up with a knife in my chest. So wish me luck. That's fair. It was nice knowing you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, What are the two Kickstarters? Morris over at N-World, he's doing a a book called Level Up, which is basically fifth edition, but with more options. It's supposed to be like advanced D&D 5th edition or whatever, but I am intrigued because I've been following it for a while. I still love me the Iron Kingdom setting, 
And they're going to kickstart their hordes collection of books. So with warlocks and trolls and cool stuff. So yeah, yeah. I will not be long for this world, and I apologize to all of our listeners. Well, it's been real. Mm-hmm. 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 Send me cool stuff. Leave me cool stuff in the in the will. Okay, we'll do. <laughs> well, that brings us to the end of our tabletop news segment, Wisdom of Crowds. So now it is time for a king in all things. This is, of course, part four of our 38-part series, A King in All Things, where we are watching all the Stephen King movies based on novels and novellas in order of release date and a couple of extras just thrown in for good measure. So we are on our, our, our fourth here, which means we're still plumb in the early 80s. Yes, we watched The Dead Zone, 1983's movie extraordinaire by the David Cronenberg. Made for a budget of $7.1 million, it made sixteen point. Oh, was it David Cronenberg? Yeah, it Cronenberg? was. It was. It was filmed in Canada. I thought eh? it had it, a, a, a curious uh, pacing to it. Now that all makes sense. Now it all just clicked. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. It, it doubled its budget. It was a modest budget. Filmed in Canada, uh, which was one of its problems, but we can get into that. And it was released October 21st of 1983. So, wow. We're like, what, 29 years? 30? Oh, God. Is it 49 years later? How long is it? Is it 39? I can't math today. It's 39. It has to be 39. Still, wow. Old what, movie. what year was it? 83? 83. No, yeah, 38, 38. 38. 38. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. There we go. Math. It's my strong suit. I'm real good at it. So, okay. So, you, you really like this movie. I was kind of uh, on it. Uh, but you know what? We both agreed. I would say I really liked it. I just said I enjoyed it. And it was better than I anticipated it that it would be, especially for the time period it came out in. That's true. And Walken was reined in in a very interesting way. <laughs> <laughs> he was still creepy as hell. <laughs> yeah, but like it, you know what I mean. Like he wasn't so over the top. He was reined in, and it was it was an interesting character. So okay, so the basic plot is uh, it's it's the classic dude gets in car accident, makes him psychic somehow because that happens. That happens a lot in Stephen King because head trauma. Yeah, head trauma means psychic powers. That that happens a lot in Stephen King world actually. And uh, basically, you can touch people, and you can s- kind of see the near future of them sometimes. And after he gets his powers back, his legs are kind of messed up, yada, yada, yada. He sort of goes into hiding. Um, and then his ex-girlfriend, before he got in the car accident, who's married to another guy, uh, ends up working for this uh, political candidate. And he shakes the political, political candidate's head and gets this vision of him ordering a nuclear first strike on Russia. I, I suppose. They never actually say who he's doing it to. I don't think. Um, and starting, you know, Armageddon and all that because he's a crazy demagogue. And so he struggles with, you know, should you kill Hitler? And he decides to, yes. And he does end up killing him, but he does end up stopping him. The end. Spoiler alert, I guess. All right. Now that you told me it was David Cronenberg, so much more of this makes sense. (laughs) Like so many of the choices now resonate so much more. What's Cronenbergian about it? I, I, I'm not, I'm not a connoisseur of his films. Body horror and me are not friends and he does a lot of body horror. It's, it's the pacing. Some of the, the, acting in the way they 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 were told to kind of like pause their lines and stuff like it, it all just resonates of Cronenberg okay yeah I mean I, I would say the pacing is kind of one of the weird things about this movie it has that Stephen King movie problem too where it's trying to tell a lot of story because it's basically like three like you could have done a trilogy out of this real easily you know 
Yeah. You could have done 90 minutes on the car accident and its immediate aftermath, like doing the the drama of him, you know, learning how to walk again and all that, and then occasionally having psychic visions. And then you could have done, there was the middle part where he becomes this like recluse or he, he, he finds a serial killer, but then becomes a recluse because people want him to use his psychic powers for him and ends up tutoring people. And then the whole storyline about the kitty tutors who almost dies and he saves them from falling into the ice. And then, uh, and then you could have had the ending with the, uh, the political candidate. I get why they made it into a TV show because it allowed him to fill in that space a lot more, even if it got kind of goofy. My major problems with it were it was just a lot of story crammed into a short movie because it takes place. It's pretty obvious it takes place over at least a couple of years. And then the other problem with it is they filmed it in winter. So it's like everything, all the major life events that happened to this poor man happened in the middle of a Canadian winter, I guess. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But other than that, um, it, it still was pretty good. I mean, I don't think it was like Salem's Lot good, but it was definitely better than last those other two movies, which will remain nameless. No, but it does a good job of making the supernatural fit within the context of a, of, of a more realistic setting. And that's something that like some of the other, especially Carrie, uh, you know, does, doesn't do well. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's one of the things that is good. And like, there's some aspects of Walken's performance that are, are really, really interesting. And, uh, did you notice by the way, the type of rifle that he was using? No, that was a car 98. That's a, a German infantry rifle from world war two. Hmm. There's a very long exposition there about do you kill Hitler? And I found it very interesting that and, and very intentional that they they elected to have a, a German infantry rifle as the uh, from World War Two as the the weapon that he shot the candidate with. Yeah, that was very intentional. Yeah, I mean, I said my two complaints about it and those that's all I can think about. It just it seemed it needed to have more breathing room like. I don't know. I, I, maybe a lot of these should just be made in a miniseries. You can just stop trying to turn his books into films because you just have to condense it so hard, you know? Yeah. And, and I think that's that's one of the, the common problems that you see with with book to film translations is that they they concentrate on on trying to capture the book too much and they forget to make a good movie. And that's the the best book to film adaptations concentrate on making a good movie before they concentrate on on capturing every last nuance of the book. I do think it's interesting that we're now four movies into a series and two of them have involved psychics. And it's making me, it's reminding me that psychics are very definitely a thing in Stephen King world. Like it's kind of, it's kind of a weird, like almost throwback at this point, but they, they still come up in his books, uh, even his modern ones. And we've kind of gotten away with that sort of, Oh, it's totally plausible. It's not really, it's not really supernatural. If someone's psychic, that's like science, you know? That's like MK Ultra, Men Who Stare at Goats stuff. I mean, that really happened, you know? And it's 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 just weird how, like, just remembering back in the day, like, X-Files and all that, like, you know, people were pretty sure, like, psychic phenomena was a real legit thing and, like, the future of humanity. Like, Babylon 5 did that, too. Nah, it's just weird. It's weird that I was sort of in our collectiveness back in the day, and it is really not there anymore now. You don't see a lot of psychic stuff anymore. They more or less attributed that to almost like it, instead of making someone psychic, they make them have like that Sherlock Holmes thing where they're just like unnaturally intelligent and photographic memory or, you know, something like that. You know what I mean? I don't know. Which is in and of itself a stupid trope at this point. So like, yeah, yeah, it's just the flavor of the, the week for the early 80s. Speaking of which, you hear they're going to reboot Babylon 5 on the CW. <laughs> yeah, I saw that. I don't know how I feel about that. I mean, look, here's the deal. They rebooted Battlestar. I had a lot of dread going into it and it ended up being one of the best things I've ever seen. So I will 
cautious. I'll be. I'll say I'm cautiously optimistic. Yeah, that's where I'm at. Also, it's a hell of a lot easier to make a space drama on a TV budget nowadays than it was back then. That's very true. Looking at you, Mandalorian. <laughs> yeah, I'm. I'm happy that JMS is going to be. He's going to. If they're making the pilot right now, and if it gets picked up, he's going to be the showrunner. And he's very excited to take a second crack at it, which I think is interesting. So the, the core stories of Babylon were always fascinating and interesting. It, it was the, the budgetary constraints that really under un, un, undid it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, sorry for that side. We're talking about the dead zone. Yeah. I don't know what to say about the dead zone. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't bad. It wasn't particularly great. It, it had its moments. It's what I like to call a solid seven. Yeah. I'd maybe say a solid six, it's, but <laughs> it's not offensive in any way, shape or form. It has a couple of genuinely good aspects to it, but it also doesn't really excel. Yeah. And a lot of the characters are flat because, you know, again, it's a Stephen hey, King book. That's being but you compressed. Know, after Cujo. Well, yeah, it was man. It was breath f- of fresh air. Fudging Shakespeare next to Cujo. Jesus. Um, Which makes me terrified for the next one, because so far the odds have really hurt and the evens have been OK. Or, or if not exemplary. Well, next up is John Carpenter's Christine, sir. Oh, man. If anybody's going to pull it off, it's going to be Carpenter. So so the question is, can Carpenter? Well, Carpenter has a problem, too, where some he's either real, real, real good or real, real, real bad. I'm looking at you. That Ghost Mar- of Mars. Ghost of Mars. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That was a rough one. Yeah. You're not wrong. Like, yeah, there, he, yeah, you're you're right. There is no in between with Carpenter. Yeah, it's either, it's either like a Grand Slam or a wing or it's either the thing or Ghost of Mars. You don't get an in between. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's either escape from from New York or escape from L.A. There's no in between. <laughs> <laughs> Talk about the agony and the ecstasy. huh? Yeah. Yeah. Seriously. Although I, I have a hard time uh, dogging on escape from L.A., though, because my, my man Bruce Campbell's in that as the Beverly Hills surgeon. Or the surgeon of Beverly Hills, or whatever. Yeah, the plastic surgeon guy. And and I I I can't speak ill of the Bruce. I love him too much. This this was released in the same year, right? Eighty three for Christine. Yeah, yeah. I think Christine came out in like the winter or something like that. I could look it up. Uh, December December of nineteen eighty three. So we're 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 sticking to the same time zone. So if if anybody's gonna do it, it's gonna be John Carpenter. But we will we will see. Yeah. Well, we're on the run of good stuff. We're on the run of good stuff now. Very officially, so it'll it'll be good. It'll be good. Do you remember what's after Christine? Uh, okay, let me pull up the King list. Are you excited? Are you excited about this run? Do you know how good this run's going to be, Jonathan? I know there's a couple of good ones in there. Well, now that, that we got over the hump of Cujo, which was we, we got this oh, one. God, what a hump! Too. Which, given it, it's a fine movie, it's not bad. We have Christine, Firestarter, Silver Bullet, Stand by Me, The Running Man, Pet Cemetery, Misery, The Lawnmower Man. The Dark Half, Shawshank Redemption. Come on. The weakest link in there is... There's a lot of good stuff in there. The weakest link is the the Dark Half. But even then, like, we get Shawshank Redemption right after that, which is like, should have won the Oscar that year. Not Forrest Gump. Either that or... No, you're not wrong. And that movie's also aged a lot better than Forrest Gump did. Yeah. Well, that was just a good year. Uh, That was the year Pulp Fiction and Shawshank were both up, and I think those split the vote (laughs) so that the... uh, the lesser of the three movies could win, I guess. You know what I mean? I do. And that's a pity. That's a real pity. But yeah, that was a good year in film. You're not wrong. Yeah. But yeah. we're certainly not there yet. We're sticking to the 80s. So uh, join us in two weeks when we hit Christine. Yeah, I can't wait for Firestarter, too. And Silver Bullet. It's been a long time since I saw Silver Bullet. 
God, I you know I don't think I've seen Silver Bullets since I was a kid. Yeah, yeah. I just Gary Busey's in it, so I mean, I I do, here, here's the thing. My prediction for Silver Bullet, I do not think it will be a good movie, and I think it will be a very entertaining bad movie, which is okay. Because that was that was See, the, that's the problem with 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 um with Carrie and with Cujo is they're not entertaining. Cujo especially was not entertaining. Cujo was boring. Oh, God, that was just terrible yeah it was it was bad and it was boring and that that is yeah like because i i love me some bad because say what you will about a lot of bad movies even the happening even the happening it was just do i regret seeing that movie in the theaters yes yes i do do i regret seeing that movie no because you know what talking about the happening with people who saw the happening is great because that movie was so bad i saw it in theaters too and it was so fucking oh god i remember just sitting there just being like is this really happening is this real life (laughs) come on john like flying out of a car grabbing a shard of glass and stabbing himself in the chest until he dies come on that's just so dumb (laughs) where do we even begin all right so we will we will return in two weeks with christine and we'll see if we can uh we can break the odd numbered pain Take us into the final segment, Jonathan. All right. Well, that brings us to the end of our King in All Things segment, which means it is time for a year in the life. And so that is, of course, where we use our way back machine and we look a year ago as to what we were doing. And we were just on the cusp of episode 100. Yes. Forgot my dice. Episode 96 in 3D. Uh, Jonathan, we were just uh, we were returning to a previous topic and talking about uh appropriately spoopy board games and role-playing games that you could play at this most terrifying of seasons, the October Halloween season. And yeah, that was all we did. Yeah. There was a lot of good stuff in that episode, as I recall. Yeah. I didn't listen to it again, so I couldn't, I couldn't quote you on that. I found another, a new podcast that I was, I kind of got into for a little bit, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, let's see what we're talking about in the old notes. Uh, Abaddon's Gate. Oh, that. Oh, you were reading the uh, the Expanse. We talked about. The, oh yeah, yeah. There you go. We talked about the Alien. RP- oh, what was that a year ago? Really? Yeah. I watched Austin Powers: International Man of Mystery. Uh, oh. Uh, apparently, I just watched Enola Holmes. Was playing the Fall Guys. Uh. Da, 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 da. Oh, we got Marvel United here, Jonathan. We got Marvel United. Um, we were also no time to bond. If last week week was Goldeneye, that means this week had to have been Tomorrow Never Dies, which is a great movie. Uh, yeah, that uh, was good. The Reckoners, The Thing, The Witcher, True Detective, Vampire the Masquerade, Starship Samurai. For whatever reason, oh, it was the first time I talked about the upcoming Power. Oh, I think that's when I got the expansion. And that makes sense. That makes. Sense. I love me some Starship Samurai. That's a fun game. Horrified. We talked about Horrified again. I mean, how can you not during this season? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Monster slaughter. Yeah. I was just looking at that box, uh, not but today, and I would love to get that out on the table again. That is what we talked about a year ago, which is to say we threw ourselves a softball for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we were, we're going to hop into a quick break, and when we return, it'll be time to deep dive. And today we are deep diving cryptid. We love getting feedback, so please let us know how we're doing by one of the following. You can become our patron over at Patreon. Search for Forgot My Dice. 
We also have a Discord page where we organize games and chat about all sorts of stuff. Find a link on our website, ForgotMyDice.com. You can also message us or tweet at us on the Twitters. Find us at ForgotMyDice. And, of course, you can email us at FMDPodcast2016 at gmail.com. Or you can head on over to our website, ForgotMyDice.com, where all of our episodes are available, plus game reviews and other content. If you like the show, the best way for more people to find out about us is to give us a review on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or Stitcher. Last of you, for those of you listening in the village, call the operator, give your number, and ask for us to be put on the rotation. Robert, this, this needs to stop. Listen, I'll, I'll make you a deal. I will not make any deals with you. I will not be pushed, filed, stamped, indexed, briefed, debriefed, or numbered. My life is my own. Oh, God, I'm going to cut his cord. And welcome back from the break. It is now time for our deep dive. And tonight we are deep diving cryptid. You've studied the footage, connected the dots, put everything together on a murder board, apparently, and gathered what meager evidence you could. (laughs) You're close. Soon the whole world will know the truth behind the cryptid. A group of like-minded cryptozoologists have come together to finally uncover the elusive creature. But the glory of discovery is too rich to share. Without giving away some of what you know, you'll never succeed in locating the beast, but reveal too much and your name will be long forgotten. Cryptid is a unique deduction game of honest misdirection in which players must try to uncover information about their opponent's clues while throwing them off the scent of their own. Each player holds one piece of evidence to help them find the creature, and on their turn they can try to gain more information from their opponents. Be warned! Give too much away and your opponents might beat you to the mysterious animal and claim the glory for themselves. Jonathan, tell me how this game plays. Okay, so let's talk about setup first. Because it's interesting, and there's a unique little twist here. Uh, So setup can be handled two different ways. You can either set it up manually using the stuff in the box, or you can actually use a companion app that's available for it. And the companion app is actually a little quicker uh, to set up, and it's not used during the game at all. It's strictly for uh, a liquid quick setup. So um, once you've set everything up, um, the, the, the setup includes a couple different things. So you begin the game with what's called initial sharing. So you build a map based on um, a card that you pull from the game and it's a nine by 12 hex map. And that map is made up of a bunch of different uh, types of topography. There's water, mountain, forest, swamp, and desert. And each of those things has its own color. So like water is blue, mountain is gray, forest is green, swamp is purple for some reason. That's the only one that I can't make sense of. Desert is yellow. And then there's also two types of territories there's uh red ringed shape uh, pardon me red ringed hexes and those are cougar territory and then there are black uh dotted outline uh uh, hexes and those are bear territories and so why do you need to know about the topography and why do you need to know about these territories because that comes to the main gameplay um and the main gameplay begins with the initial sharing and that's where the starting player has to place a cube in a space on a, on the board, which could not be a ha- the habitat according to the clue that they received during the initial setup. Because during the initial setup, everybody gets a, a clue um, that uh, as to where the cryptid is. And that really is the kind of point of the game, is you're trying to deduce the location of the cryptid before any of, your, um, any of the other players are. 
And you're doing so without telling a lie because the game is all about honesty. You have to be honest. So you have to create alternatives um, for where the cryptid might be by utilizing your deductive powers to um, put people on the wrong scent in terms of where on the map um, uh, they they might be looking. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah, yeah. So on your turn, you're only going to do one of two things. You're either going to do what's called questioning or you're going to do what's called searching. When you question, you pick a single space and you ask one of the other players if the space could be the habitat. And they um, either say that it could be by putting down a disc or they say that it can't be by putting down a cube, according to their clue. The other thing you can do on a, on a space is search. And when you search, you're doing essentially the same thing. You're picking a space where you could, uh, where the, which could be the habitat, and you question every single player clockwise around the table until somebody places a cube. And if nobody places a cube, then you've won. You've found the cryptid. So essentially, you're doing the same thing, but there's two different ways that you do it. You're doing it either with the whole group, which potentially takes you to endgame, or with just one person, which potentially gives you another clue as to where the cryptid might be. So let's talk about what these clues look like. The possible clues are going to be something like the habitat is on one of two types of terrain, and then it'll say like forest or swamp. Or it could be the habitat is within one space of a type of terrain. So that could be like uh, within one space of swamp. Uh, The habitat is within one space of either animal territory, letting you know that you have to be within one space of both cougar country or bear country. The habitat is within two spaces of a type of structure, and there's a couple different structures that you place out on the board um, during setup. The habitat is within two spaces of a type of animal territory, letting you know that uh, it has to be within two spaces of that particular um, habitat. Or finally, the habitat is within three spaces of a specific color of structure. Now, there's a long, long list of things that clues that will not be asked. And they're at the end of the, the, the rule book. It, um, they're basically hints. Like, for example, uh, there are no within two spaces clues. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. So basically the core principles at work here are you have to be honest. If you're asked a question, you have to be honest about it. But you don't have to put them on the right track because there's probably more than one space that you can be honest about without you know, giving away what you know based on your clues. Because at the beginning of the game, everybody gets a private clue, and then everybody uh, gets it starts putting down their, their items. And so you have to kind of deduce what everybody's private clue is. You can't interact with a space that contains a cube, because once a cube is put down, that's off limits. You know it can't be there, and so there's really no sense to it, and it would just lengthen the game out in a silly way. You can never take pieces off the board, Uh, Because if you did, that would kind of break the whole deduction aspect of it. If one of your pieces is already on a space, you can't add another piece to that space, kind of an offshoot of those first rules. And then finally, if you make somebody place a cube on your turn, you also have to place one of your cubes somewhere on the board in an applicable space. So you have to give a little away if they've given something away. And so that's it. That's all there is to the game. You set it up. You look at your private clue and then you start asking each other about specific spaces and you're trying to be the first to undo the puzzle of where uh, where this cryptid is hiding on the board. So let me ask you a question is are there specific types of cryptids like are there fun like cryptids actually in this book like are you is it just sort of ethereal like you are searching for the nameless cryptid or or 
you know, do you get one at the beginning of the game or something fun like that? Because I love cryptids. Um, no, it's it's all kind of ethereal. So you get a couple things. When I say that you get a private clue, you're actually getting a clue book. And that book contains uh, 96 different clues in it. And then the card that you set up, um, it tells you specifically which one of those clues within each book to look at. And that's kind of how it balances it out and, and puts everybody on the right uh, right path, right? Okay. The game also comes with, of course, the tiles to make up the, the playing area. It's, it's six tiles. That's it. There's no specific cryptid listed, uh, but there's a really cool like Loch Ness monster type thing on the box, which makes me happy. Yeah, and I, I saw something. I'm assuming it's from the uh, rule book that looks like a Sasquatchy thing with antlers. Yeah. <laughs> so basically, you've got a deck of cards. On one side of the card is the map layout that you're going to put, and then on the other side of the card is a listing of how many players you're playing with, and then the rule books to put out, and what page everybody should look at for their their individual clue. And that's 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 the extent of setup. I mean, like one of the greatest things about this game is you can machine gun rounds. But the puzzle's always entertaining because you're you're always trying to do the same thing, which is figure out and and kind of play a, a game of of like how much information are you willing to give give away while still trying to get as much information as possible from everybody else. But you can't ever lie. It's it's really it's a neat kind of like um, it's a it's like a game of chicken, you know, like you, you never want to give away too much, but you have to give away something because otherwise you're not going to get anything in return. Yeah, and that 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 is the the extent of cryptid. Like that's all there is to it. But like I can't stress enough how how fun this game is. Like this game is hugely fun. Okay, well, speaking of uh, of seeing Sasquatch with antlers in the rule book, how is that rule book? The rule book is awesome. It's very straightforward. It helps that they have such a lean rule set. It goes into things like you know why is honesty important and why is questioning important and why is searching important. There's a lot of different clues to how the gameplay works. They do a really good job of outlining the core principles, and then they do a, a secondarily good job of talking about the different types of clues and and the hints that we talked about earlier. And then Golden, on the back page, single page rules reference that has everything you need to play the game. Next time we get together on a Sunday, maybe we should play this. Oh, I'd be totally down. I think that'd be super, super fun. Cryptid is an awesome little game. All right, so you talked about it a little bit. Um, we're, we're mainly talking about a game with, with cardboard and, and wooden cubes and circles and whatnot. So how are those components, though? Components are gorgeous. So the game uh, comes in a really nice package uh, with art by, what is his name? With art by Quanchai Moria. Like kind of like the main cryptid on the box is that little kind of sea eel slash Nessie type thing. And he's awesome and looks great. Um, and then the rest of the the like the, the map spaces and whatnot, they're just kind of like a, a cute little third person kind of isometric view. Kind of reminds me of 16 bit, uh, strategy games. <laughs> and then that's, that's about the extent of it. Like it's, it's pretty straightforward from there on out. The cards themselves are laid out really cleanly. The, the map, instead of having any details, just colors so that, you know, specifically how to arrange your six, uh, your six tiles. And it even gives you num- numerical shortcuts on the side. It says like one six four two five three to make it really really easy to set up. And then on the on the back side um, is how many players are you playing with, and um, wh- what is your specific arrangement of clues based on that number of players. Now it is important to note the game is for three to five players, and really you there's no way to, to shoehorn this any less than three. It doesn't work with any less than three. Yeah, that would make sense. But that being said, I've played it with three and with five players, and it's worked almost identically in both respects. 
The five player one obviously is a little quicker because you're you're getting a little more information per round. But that was just my experience. Well, that answers that question. So since we know what the recommended player count is, which is three to five. Oh, I, for, I forgot to mention the wooden components, by the way, are, are really nice as well. Just a nice selection of solid wood, wooden components. There's nothing fancy going on here. There's cubes, there's cylinders, and then there's a couple of other components that are used in the um, what's called the advanced rules. And in the advanced rules, uh, there's not a ton of differences to the core rules. It's just you get an entire additional colors worth of stuff to put out, which obviously makes things a little more difficult because now the the clues can be a bit more varied and players can receive negative as well as positive clues. So like the, the clue might include a phrase like the habitat is not here. So there's three structure types in the core game and then four structure types in the advanced game variant. And I've, I've played both and I don't really have a favorite. They, they both work for different reasons, but the advanced one definitely makes the deduction a little tougher, which is fun. So I would definitely suggest the the intro variant um, when getting people used to it. But after three or four rounds, when they're getting confident, switch to the advance. Is there anything off in the execution? Not a darn thing. It's an attractive package. The components are fantastic. It's quick to set up. It's quick to play. And the best part is that the puzzle, even though you get to it you know, the same way each time, the puzzle's different each time, and depending on who you're playing with, that puzzle can be really, really gnarly to figure out, and it's just fun that way. I really, I just really enjoy the living daylights out of this game. It's, it's a great game for, for groups that are familiar with each other. All righty then, Jonathan. This is your last chance. Say one last thing about this game. Here's the thing about Cryptid. It's really easy to get people into it. It's a good game for non-gamers, and it's a good game for gamers. Uh, and most importantly, it's under 40 bucks. And it's just a blast to have around. This is one of those games that you can take out with, you know, your family or friends that don't normally play board games. Uh, and you can equally take it out with your hardcore gamers and you're still going to get exactly what you want out of it each time. It's just a phenomenal, well-balanced, just lovely little gem of a game. I absolutely adore it. All right. So that is, wow, a very compact review of Cryptid uh, by Osprey Games. It's a compact game. Like, you know, when when you describe it and when you go through the rules, like there's not a lot there, but I can't stress enough that the puzzle is so tough each time you do it. Yeah, no, that sounds up my alley. I'm intrigued. We'll have to find like... Oh, I think you're, I think you're gonna I, love I it. Think, I think to get me into this game, if we play it, uh, I think we need to find some sort of random generator, like random cryptid generator, so we can have a name for whatever we're, we're following and it has to be goofy and strange. I wonder if there's one of those yeah, online. Yeah, I'd be totally down with that. Cryptid generator oh it auto it auto filled thank you google all right all right i found one randomize i'll have to look for this jonathan the one i found was dumb i just clicked on it said like main it and i want i want something dumb like something that's like it's the birmingham it's the birmingham moth goat or something you know <laughs> like the jersey devil or something okay okay i'm gonna find i'm gonna find this but i'll look later because this is riveting radio me looking up sites on google Anyway, so that that is Cryptid by Osprey Games. Uh, It says it's out of stock on the website, but, you know, it could be in distribution at your FLGS. So make sure you go look for it there. As I understand it, this game's done pretty well. I think it's gone through a couple of reprints, so I wouldn't be surprised if you see a reprint soon. Yeah, but things being what they are right now, that may take some time to come out. Very true. Very true. true. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, no, it's super cool. I really like this game. I think you're going to love it. I really am excited to play this with you. I actually took it with us uh, 
this last weekend when we were traveling and we played it with some non-gamers and they loved it. It was really fun. How'd they enjoy it? Like, did it work with them or? Yeah, it took like two rounds for them to kind of get the flow of it. And boom, they were off to the races. We ended up playing like three or four different rounds in a row. All right. All right. I can dig it. I can dig it. I like it. I like it. Well, that brings us to the end of episode 116 of the Forgot My Dice podcast. Once again, join us on all of our digital domains. Uh, as we have reported before, Discord seems to be the uh, current du jour, which is good stuff. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we would absolutely love to hear from you. And uh, before we get to the outro, Robert, any final thoughts? So I'm so disappointed in myself, Jonathan. So watch Hill House, watch Bly Manor, watch Midnight Mass, read Hill House, read some other stuff. When... Do I get my first bad dream about a ghost or something that freaks me out enough that I actually wake up and, you know, remember it and all that? When I'm watching stupid Rose Red, which isn't even scary, (laughs) but for whatever reason it lingered and I don't get it. I don't know what to tell you there. That 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 was not at all what I was expecting. <laughs> On the plus side, I was uh, I was sharing stories about having visited the uh, the Winchester Mystery House, and we realized it's uh, kind of in the neighborhood of uh, my wife's sister. So we were talking about visiting them next summer. So we were thinking maybe we can go do that, especially if we. I like the Winchester Mystery House. I've been there. It's awesome. Yeah, I think my my daughter would like it because she'll be ten by then. But I don't think the boys will enjoy. Yeah, it. it's a trip. If, if you go out there, you also have to go out and do that. Um, what's that cabin out in the woods where everything's sideways? Oh, I don't know. We have one of those in Oregon. It's called the uh, the Oregon Mystery House. Mystery spot. Yeah. The mystery yeah, spot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We got one of those down here. Yeah. Do, do them both. It's fun. If not for no other reason, because it's not particularly expensive, do it for the, the, the drive out there and the, the scenery, because it's absolutely stunning. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, I think that brings us to the end, which means there's only one last thing to do, and that is to be excellent to one another and party on. Party on, Jonathan. The music you heard in this podcast was intro by Elifiel. Additional music was provided by Brian Winkleman. Funding for the Forgot My Dice podcast was provided by our supporters on Patreon. Thank you 